Hello and welcome back to the Jules Fancast. You join me for a very special podcast as we welcome a former player, former manager and all-round legend, Mr Gillingham, Andy and Tyler. Andy, thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Looking forward to it. Um, it's only right that we start at the beginning of your footballing career. Um, you started your career in non-league, didn't you, with Corinthian? That's right, yeah. But you had the opportunity to join Charlton for a year in the youth team, is that right? Yeah, what I did, I was... I was um... I was playing for Corinthians at the time and then uh, had an opportunity to go and play for Charlton uh, on, on a non-contract. So um, I was working for the building on the building as a plaster at the time. And so I took a year out, to be honest, of, of doing that, um, just um, just to have a crack at uh, trying to become a professional. So, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I went another year. I played in the youth team in the reserves. Um, I really enjoyed it, but unfortunately, at the end of the the year that I had, uh, I didn't get off the contract. So, uh, which was a bit, obviously I was a little bit disappointed, but to be fair, at the time, Lenny Lawrence was the manager of, of the first team and uh, I actually probably felt that at that stage I, I probably wasn't ready to be or, or perhaps good enough to be at that level. So, um, so I, I ended up going back to Corinthians and going back onto the, back onto the uh, building site and uh, carried on doing plastering. Yeah, I mean, I've got written down here, like, after your stint with Charlton, you went back to Corinthian, didn't you? Um, and you still worked as a plasterer. Do you think that your time with Charlton and working in the trade as a plasterer spurred you on to make it professional in the end? Yeah, I think that opportunity made me more determined. I think because of the rejection of, of not getting an opportunity to become a professional, it was something I wanted to do, and uh, so I, I never gave up on that that dream, as they say. And um, so I went back to, as you say, to Crimis, went back onto the building site, carried on my day job, but then sort of still believe that one day, if I work hard enough, then then the dream will come true. And uh, fortunately, it did in the end. Of course, um, skipping forward two years. Um... You went on to join Dartford from Corinthian. Um, you linked up with Peter Taylor for the first time in your career. He obviously yeah. played a big part in in your footballing world. How did that move come about for you? Yeah, I mean, it was. I remember playing for Corinthians in a cup game. Not sure what cup game it was uh, or, or what cup it was. Sorry. Um, and uh, Pete was playing. I was playing for Corinthians, and uh, I must have done something pretty pretty well that night because. I, can't, I actually can't remember what the result was, to be honest, but um, I got a phone call pretty much the next day from the secretary at Dartford and uh, asked me would I be interested in coming to play for Dartford and that's how it came about really, so Pete was, was playing and uh, managing Dartford at the time and um, I got the call and, I'm, you know, and the thing is at that stage, playing for Corinthians, I really enjoyed it, it was good, yep. good people there and... Um, uh, Ron Billings uh, was obviously the owner who's passed away now but Ron Ron was the, 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 the daddy as I say and they never paid their players at the time and um, which wasn't an issue because I was working for them as well but it was an opportunity really for, for football in, in terms of stepping up a level for me and um, 
I wanted to do that. So I went and spoke to Corinthians, and they were excellent for me. They, they basically said, look, you know, yeah, you want to go and back yourself, we get that. Um, go, go and do it. And um, I thought it would have jeopardised my job because I worked for them as well. I did a lot of work for them yeah. uh, as a plasterer, so I thought that was going to jeopardise it. It never did. And, uh, and, and I went went and played for Darford and uh, you know, formed a really, as you say, good relationship with Peter Taylor. Um, obviously, as you say, Corinthians are a club with huge history. I think they're known as Corinthian Casuals now. And as you say, they've never played their players. Um, that's just tradition for them. And obviously, Dartford was yeah. the first time in your career you'd been earning money through football. Yeah, I mean, Dartford were paying at that stage. Like I said, it was a step up in football. It wasn't about the money for me. The money at that stage wasn't, it was minimal. Even at Dartford, you know, was my main money was coming in from my day job. And, uh, um, but again, I, I go back to it wasn't money. It was about stepping up, having an opportunity because because of that rejection at Cholton, it was always going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to step up a level now, uh, and you know this could put me put me in the shop window type of thing, and uh, that, that was the reason why um, the main reason why I, I went to do it. It was about football, and uh, I wanted to better myself. And of, of course, you 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 did. Um, you spent obviously a few good years at Dartford, but eventually you and Peter Taylor briefly went your separate ways in 1990, as he went on to join Enfield and you moved on to Redbridge, where you won the Isthmian League. But the next season, at the ripe age of 26, you finally made your way into professional football with, with Watford. Yeah, it, it was funny because leaving Pete was uh, was a strange thing because it, we, we sort of, as I say, got a great relationship and. Uh, he sort of put me on the map a little bit and uh, gave me the opportunity. And then he had the opportunity to leave Darfur and go to Enfield. And, um, he wanted me to go with him. But again, you know, in football terms, there wasn't a lot of difference. Well, there wasn't a lot of difference in terms of the leagues. And um, I, I, I just felt at that stage, the travelling because of my work would make it awkward for me and, and harder. Um, and at that stage, I had an opportunity to go to... Uh, as you say, Redbridge Forest at that time, they were called Redbridge Forest. Yeah. I changed their names over the, over the years. I think it was Walthamstow and I think, as I say, they, they changed their names a few times. Um, and they're now, at, as, as we speak, they're back as, as Dagenham and Redbridge, aren't they? So yeah. I went I went to Redbridge Forest and, and that's where I felt, well, that's where I formed a relationship with, uh, with obviously John Steele at that, at that stage. So, um, yeah, so I, I made that made that jump to, to Dagenham and uh, sort of say part our ways with, with Pete, but always kept in contact with him. And uh, I mean, that's a good time at, at, at Redbridge Forest and as you say, we won the Eastman League. Yeah, and obviously that did put you um, in the shop window, as you said before, because uh, you had that season without Pete and then linked back up with him at Watford where he was assistant manager, didn't you? Yeah, strange. He just got a phone call out of the blue. I've been playing quite well at Redbridge. I say got a promotion, um, and we just got promotion to the, the national league as it is now. Um, and um, you know, I remember I played. I think I, I think I only played about three or four games. I'm not sure how many games exactly I played in, in that league, but I played. You know, early part of the season, and then got a call from from Peter to say, look, you know. I know you've always wanted to do it and, and I, I believe you can do it. You could definitely become a pro and you could definitely make the, uh, the, the, the step up. And uh, 
do you want to do it? And it, to be fair, it, it didn't take me. I pretty much said yes on the phone. Yeah. Um, because I know at 26 was, you know, obviously quite an older age in terms of turning professional, but I was just had an established job, you know, self-employed. And I knew that, if, again, if it didn't work out, and I could always go back to, to the, back to the building trade. So I, I had a, I had that behind me. I had, you know, I had, a, I had a career in terms of on the building behind me. I knew that it wasn't. There was no real risk to it. So, uh, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to go and try myself at, at that level. And uh, you know, and, and and I did it. I spoke to John Still. Uh, Watford made. Watford made an, an approach and, and they'd done a deal. They'd done a deal. I think a deal was, I think it was £85,000 at the time. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, my dream come true, really. I, I had the opportunity to uh, to go and pit my wits at, uh, at the top level. Yeah, obviously, as you said, you were playing your trade in what was now in the National League. Um, and to move to such a big club like Watford, and obviously your first in professional football, like, how did that make you feel in terms of packing up the day job and going straight to play in that league and throwing yourself right in at the deep end? Yeah, I was, I was excited, you know, nervous but excited because, you know, I've come out of the league, a lot of the players that were at Watford, you know, hadn't had this sort of upbringing that I, come, I had, they'd come through the system, through, through the being younger a bit of clubs and, and, and they, you know, they'd been in the game a long time and uh, so it was something coming out of non-league and, and you had to go and Basically, show people that you were, were good enough to, to be at this level, and uh, there's always question marks because it's it's, it's a step up. And uh, but you know, because I was so determined to to, to show people that I could, I, I am good enough to be at this level. Um, you know, it was I, I was I to say I was very very excited and uh, determined to, to to prove people that, and, and also to do it for Peter Taylor because he put a lot of faith in me. Yeah, he took a risk. He's, he's you know he's told, told Steve Perriman at the time. I'm promise you this lad can do it. He can he, he, even though he's 26, he can he can definitely step up and uh, and, and that that was made me more determined to, to do it for, for Pete because he put his neck on the line for me. So Peter played a, a huge role in, in that transfer for you then. Yes, he did. Yeah, he pushed and pushed. I think he'd been pushing for a few years, and there've been a few clubs. Before I went to uh, Watford, uh, Ipswich were looking. Um, I spoke to the chief scout at Ipswich. They were very close. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of other clubs at the time were were, were humming and ahhing whether to do to do it or not. Um, I think Maston were in the league at the time as well. Yeah. Maston and Keith Peacock, they they were humming and ahhing, and you know no one. But I think it was the persistence of that of him for the beat and his persistence with, with Steve. And his relationship was there. I, I, I perhaps don't think it would have happened, but you know, it's where you need that little bit of luck. And but you have to earn that. And uh, but Pete was, as you say, he was the main, the main person to put trust into me. As you say, like you, had, you had to go to Watford and earn your stripes, and you certainly did because you spent five years there, and you played alongside some huge names such as Luther Blissett, and of course played under big names, Glenn Roder, obviously formerly of Gillingham, and Graham Taylor also. How would you sum up yeah. your your time with the Hornets? Oh, I loved it. It was it was it was fantastic. Um, you know, when I left, it was it was a tough day leaving, really. And you know, we'll, we'll get on to that story a little bit later on. But yeah, it was. Um, I remember 
turning up and uh, the first day. I knew Steve Butler quite well anyway, so Steve was there. So uh, we played with Jules as well, Steve. And so I'd known Steve uh, fairly well. Um, but, but the likes of Peter Nicholas, uh, Trevor Putney, um, to, to walk into that dressing room at the at the time, and, you know, they're big characters and done a lot in their careers. You know, Trevor Putney played with Ipswich, you know, Norwich, Middlesbrough, and some clubs, Peter Nicholas, like, captain, captain his country, you know. So some big characters and, you know, I was, um, and, you know, I was coming out non-league and it was a great case of, can I settle in? And uh, they made it so much easier for me, them guys. And, uh, you know, I still speak to Trevor now. Trevor Butler's become a real good friend of mine. And uh, we were roommates and he made the, the, the transition of coming out non-league into the league. It's so much easier when you've got players like that. So, you know, it was. I remember my first... My first game, I mean, I went to Brock at the Goldstone Ground as at that stage I was, um, I wasn't in the squad, but I was there to, to sort of understand it, how it works and, yep. you know, travel with the boys, get used to the boys and, uh, and we won one nil. I remember Steve Butler scoring and then the next game was on Tuesday night away at Everton and I, I thought I had no chance of being involved and I actually started the game, um, Everton away in the League Cup and I played right back I'm not a right back but he said I want Steve I want you to play right back I said yeah I'll, I'll play there you know no problem uh, so at Goodison Park I'm not sure how many people were there I can't remember but it was a full house and Kevin Sheedy was playing left wing and Peter Pearce was playing people like that and you're thinking blimey this is it I'm, I'm on the stage now I've got to perform and uh, it was a tough night because we, we lost the game but what an experience and um, and then we, we had to play them at their place at our place sorry in the second leg and they, they beat us they went, they went through comfy over the bigger club and, uh, but that was the start of it all really and then and then on the Saturday after the Tuesday game against Everton we played Charlton at home yep. and uh, I made my home debut I played in midfield and fortunately I scored on my home debut 1-2-0 Steve Butt scored one and I scored the other one so you know, things were, I settled in really quickly and uh, when you make that sort of statement and you and you perform that way, um, you just got to get the, you know, you get the fans behind you. I'm sure the fans were looking at me thinking, he's 26 years old, but come out of non-league, is he going to be good enough? And, uh, you know, fortunately that, uh, you know, I showed them that, you know, I'm part of this team and, and um, you know, they, you know, they were excellent with the fans. I, I got on so well with him, and um, but I think it was just because he's just got to perform on a pitch, and and they take to you, and they take to me pretty much straight away that day after scoring on my debut. You know, quite ironic that obviously you made your home debut against Charlton, and obviously got on the score sheet. Um, they must have been looking at you, thinking, "What if?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as you say, it's, uh, the story goes on with that one because um, obviously that that. It, as you said, being playing against Charlton to release me, you, you almost sort of stick your shoulders out and go, look, you know, you made the wrong decision. And that's happened a lot in football over the years, I'm sure, where players have been released just through opinion or, you know, finances or whatever. And, um, and that was the case with me, you know, to score against them was phenomenal. But I remember playing Middlesbrough away and Lenny Lawrence was actually, he'd left Charlton and he was a Middlesbrough manager and, 
Yeah. We went to Ayrson Park, the old ground, and, and won the game. Um, I think one nil. And um, he 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 came up to me after the game, then he said, "He was that lad I released that Charlton won it," uh, and I went, "Yeah, it was." And uh, with a big smile on my face, and he just he just patted me on the patted me on the head like to say, "You know, I think he beat Matt." Said, "Look, I got it wrong, but you know, well done. You proved me wrong." Type of thing. Yeah, that that must have been obviously a brilliant moment for you to to get that recognition off of him. Yeah, because he's you know he's been top manager and he's still in the game now, working down at Newport County with Flinney, you know. So uh, then he was well well, uh, well well thought of as a manager and a coach. So, uh, but you know, not, you don't always get it right as a manager. And I know that myself. You, you know, you can't get every every player right. Every every players out there, if you do release them. Um, in your final season at Watford you were relegated from the first division which obviously opened the door for you to make your way to the duels for the first time in your career um, one how did that transfer come about and two were you surprised at the 235,000 fee we paid yeah at the time uh, it was a strange affair because I didn't really want to leave Watford and I remember having a conversation because that year we went down Graham Taylor came back to the club and, and tried to, to, to save, save us. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. I'd been captain for the, you know, I'd been there a year and then I was made captain when Glenn Roder came in and sort of kept the captaincy. Um, and then, you know, you tend to, in football, most players know what other players are earning at the time. You know, and I sort of came into the club and, when I when I came when I signed for Watford, I took a, a pay cut from what I was actually doing, earning you know money playing football and my my job. But again, the money wasn't an issue. It was about going to uh, play football and doing doing something that I've, I've jumped about doing. So the money wasn't an issue. So I took a wage cut. But then you, you earn your earn your stripes. And I felt I'd done that. Became captain, and and then um, they they offered me a, a new deal. I sat down, went and speak to me about a new deal, and. I remember having a conversation with Graham Taylor. Obviously, again, he's um, you know a well thought of manager and been the England manager, and you know. So I remember sitting at the table. I, I did have an agent at the time, but not not one that was always around. I, I used him to to call and, have, and yeah. a bit, bit of advice type of thing. I remember having a conversation with Graham, and uh, he uh, gave me a piece of paper and said, "Look, have a look at this. This is what we want to offer you." Take it away, speak to your wife, da da um, speak to your agent. He slid it across the table, believe it or not. And I looked at it straight away and um, I, I slid it back to him. I said, oh, you know, I basically wasn't accepting their offer at that time because I just felt that at that time the offer that they made me was, I think, I, you know, I thought they was, it was a bit unfair and, uh, you know, so it was a little, I felt it was probably a little bit hasty. Perhaps, I, you know, we should have bided my time a bit more. Um, but, you know, I, I can look back at that and say maybe that was... I, don't, I haven't got any regrets, but maybe I was at the time a little bit hasty in, in terms of rejecting the offer uh, and then think about moving on. But because I, I had some, I had Gillingham phoning me, I also had Charlton at the time when Steve Grit and... Um, Alan Kirby, you were joint managers. They they made contact with me, and Keith Peacock was was then working for the Charlton as well. Yeah. And they was really interested, and it looked like I was going to Charlton. 
But the, the problem with the Charlton ones, they wasn't prepared to to wait uh, to pay a fee if it went to because it was going to go to tribunal like it did. Yeah, they was they was a bit nervous of paying a fee for a 30, 30 year old, you know, because obviously the Bosnian ruling wasn't in at that stage. So in the end, that, um, I had a phone call from Vincey Parsons, who was um, Tony's assistant, Tony Pulis, the Jennings assistant, and yeah. uh, he said, "Would you come and meet us?" And um, we went and met. I went and met them, and um, they pretty much sold it to me, really. Tony's vision and obviously where he wanted to take the club and I met Paul Scully and um, you know we done a deal but the deal wasn't done until it was you know obviously went through the tri- tribunal so I went, I went off to to Gillingham I did pre-season with Gillingham but I was actually still a Watford player until it was uh, settled at tribunal so um, it was a funny story really because I did all of, all of pre-season. I remember going to a university in Cheltenham, I think. We, we were training there for a week. Yeah. With Gillingham and all the boys. And then the tribunal was the end of that week. So I went to the tribunal with Tony, um, assistant manager, myself. Paul Scully didn't come. Um, and Sam Allardyce was on the... He was actually doing the um, tribunal, so oh, wow. they have an ex, they have a footballer on there or ex manager or whatever to help to set the tribunal, and um, he was on it, and and that's what they set it at. They set it at two hundred thirty-five thousand. I remember getting back in the car, Tony phoning Paul Scully and telling him, and Paul Scully said, "You better tell Andy to go back to Watford. You can't wow. pay that." <laughs> wow. So I was going back to Watford, so. I had it, it was a strange affair because walking back into Watford after doing all the pre-season with Gillingham was always going to be difficult, but at the end of the day, you know, they wouldn't pay the tribunal money and uh, so I was still a Watford player, but within a couple of days, to be fair to Paul, um, they found the money and or he found the money and uh, and the deal was done. So, you know, at one stage I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, and obviously all these years later you look back at that with fondness, but at the time that would have been obviously quite a nerve-wracking thing for you because you wanted that move at that stage. Yeah, I think because yeah, I just felt that you know the way that the contract business was dealt with at uh, Watford, I didn't feel what I was wanted enough there, you know. So you know, and, and Gillingham wanted me; they, they wanted me to, to come and play for them. Another another thing was obviously I I come from Kent, you know, I was a great end lad, and you know. It, it was on my doorstep, so you know it was a great opportunity to play, to play for, for for the Kent club, and uh, you know fortunately it went through, and um, you know we went on to have uh, you know, some great times at Jules. Um, similarly to you, you said this about the Watford fans as well, and I've written down here that it's, it's fair to say that Gillingham fans fell in love with you quite quickly. What makes you think that the fans take to you so quickly? I just think, you know, they want value for money fans, don't they? I think that's what they want. Um, and I felt as if as a player, I wasn't the most gifted player in terms of techni- technically gifted. But what I was, I wore a heart on my sleeve. And, you know, I knew once I crossed that white line, I was going to give everything to try and win a game of football for the, for, for the club. And uh, I think that's how fans see it. And I think, I think, you know, yes, you've got to have a mix. You can't have 11 players that do the same thing. You've got to have the flair players, the goal scorers, you know. I just think I was a pretty much of an all-rounder, really. Perhaps didn't score enough goals in my career, but 
you know, pretty much box to box midfield player that would give everything to the end. And uh, I think any general, any normal fan in football nowadays, you see a player doing that week in week out, then uh, they're easy, they're easy players to support, aren't they? Because they know, they know, they knew every game that what they was going to get when I crossed that white line. And uh, yes, I might have an off day sometimes with a football. But, you know, the one thing I would have an off day is is, is, is that grit, determination and, uh, and will and desire to to give everything for the for the show. And, uh, you know, I think that's how I made a, I made a career out of the game, really, just, just through that, really. And in fairness, I don't think it's something we see enough of in nowadays football. No, I think you're, you're right. I think, it, you know, it's consistency, you know, obviously working and still in football now you know it's too much sometimes players are too inconsistent and, uh, you've got to be consistent you know you've got to be consistent and like you just said there you know um, it's a given really when you cross that white line you've got to go and run around you've got to go and work hard for 90 plus minutes and you know, some players don't do that you know some players just rely on you know certain things in the game um, that's going to gonna be enough but that isn't always enough, and um, you know I think uh, you don't see it as much in, in football. You don't see, and I mean you see the Roy Keynes in this world and people like that, and you know the David Beckham's. Uh, I don't, it, yeah, there's good players around, but uh, you know there's there's so much money in the game. It's, yeah, and that's where the game's changed. I think now because um, sometimes I think the games pass players by and. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt them enough, it, that's in, in my opinion. I think that's why you look at sides like Sheffield United in the Premier League this season, I think that's why they have been so good and they are where they are on the table because of that grit and determination that Chris Wilder has set them yeah. under. Yeah, and I think he's got to take a lot, a lot of credit for that, the manager, because he's been brought up like that. He's been brought up like that as a, as a player himself, Chris. I know Chris quite well, you know, over the years and spoken to him and... You know he's a good guy and he's, he's done phenomenal. And I think what he what he what his values are and what he's brought up from where he played, he's put that into a group of players in the in the Premier League. And it's almost it's almost a little bit like the Gillingham side that we had. You know, yeah. In terms, of we had no flair players, we had no standout players. We had a group of players that were worked so hard together on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. And knowing knowing Sheffield United as I do and because I know John even quite well and he's good friends with my son Jake of course um, they're good friends and John I've spoken to John a few times he said Chris is brilliant oh, oh, you know he's just got we've got a group of players that are so much together when they cross that white line but they're also together as a family off the pitch as well and uh, and I think they've got so many British players they've got a few more foreign players now but mainly British based players and uh, yeah you know, I think if you look at the Premier League as a whole, there's so many you know, European players, whereas I think they're a, a real British bunch of players uh, pulling for everybody. And you know, I, I, I can I can I can see that in, in his team, and I can see that in you know our, our team that we had at Jules. Uh, you know, when we when we did so well over the years, staying in the Championship. Um, obviously, talking of Chris Wilder, talking of good managers, you of course played under Tony Pulis at Gillingham. Um, what was it like to play under such a good manager? Yeah, Tom was very uh, meticulous at what he did. Very organised, you know. Um, 
we knew what we was doing every day uh, in training. We knew what was coming. Yes, you know, and I think I'll probably speak for most of the players. Sometimes it was it was the same thing every day, day in day out, and it became a little bit boring. But the one thing you knew is that come the weekend, you knew what he was doing, and uh, you know, I, I think that was what he's good at. You know, it was it was so well explained what he wanted from his team and from his players. Um, and and that's, that's how he was, and, uh, and that's why he's had such a, a good career in, in management himself. And uh, you know, everybody wanted to play for him. Um, and um, you know, yes, we we had our moments where we we thought he could fall out with Tony, um, but he wouldn't hold it against you. You know, he wanted to win football matches, and um, you know, like I say, his coaching style was was um, you know, there's no excuses there because. Everybody knew what I was doing as a as a group and as an individual. Um, in your second season, obviously uh, with the Jills, we lost one of our star men in Adiak and Bailly, but we did replace him with Bob Taylor and also Carlos Arbo, who formed a formidable partnership up front. Um, did that season have a special feeling to it? Because obviously we ended up reaching Wembley. Yeah, you know it did actually because um, you know just getting to, because we're the underdogs anyway. But you know the replacement of um, losing Addy and then. Bob coming in and and Carl, I mean, and that's where I, I felt Tony was his management skills was excellent because Bob came in, um, you know, he, he came in to score the goals, and I remember at the start he, he found it difficult to um, to settle, and there was games where he didn't do enough. He's perhaps a little bit overweight, Bob, and you know, um, didn't see him enough in games, and um, but you know, there was games where Tony would give Bob man of the match. Um, he used to manage, used to pick man of the match. So he, he used to give it a Bob and I think everybody was looking at each other. And I think some of the fans were like, as you've got man of the match, you know, what he did, he just kept getting Bob's confidence up and making sure Bob would, you know, he would definitely perform and start scoring goals. And to be fair, you know, the, pretty much the rest of his history, he scored so many goals and formed a great partnership with, with Sarves. But it was clever management for Tony. From Tony, brought him in, and he could have easily left him out, um, but he didn't. He stuck with him. He kept working with him, and uh, you know we got our rewards by that. And um, it, it turned out to be a, a great season, but with a with a sad ending, really, didn't it? You know. Of course, um, the Bob Taylor situation is is one of those that in this day and age. Would a manager really stick with a striker that isn't firing on all cinders straight away because of the impatience of football and obviously social media coming with that? And obviously, he would have got a lot of stick at that time. But he went on yeah. to be a club legend. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, you're right. I think he probably, I think he got, he did get a bit of stick at the time from them when there was social media then, but not to the uh, to the degree there is now. And uh, you know, I think he may have, it might have been difficult if he had been playing now, as you say, because of that pressure, you're there to score goals. and but it depends who the manager is, I suppose. If, if it's someone like Tony, who's you know who's stuck by his players, he signed him and uh, persevered with him, and you know it, it came good in the end. So, but you're right, you know, some managers would have had as much trust or uh, or, or run out of patience with the player and, and, and ended up leaving him out if, if it was yeah, sort of at this uh, this time of in, in football, you know. Um, as you said, that was a special season. Uh, we ended up finishing fourth, smashing Burnley 5 0 and Stoke 4 along the way. Um, we had Preston in the playoff semi finals, beat them 2 1 overall. And you scored the winning goal to take us and obviously yourself to Wembley for the first ever time. 
talk me through yeah, those yeah, feelings so, and emotions. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was phenomenal. You know, to, it was always going to be a tough place to go up there, go to Preston first, and them in the first leg at their place. And, um, you know, we had to, uh, lost the game 2-1, didn't we? So we had, but we had the away goal. Yep. Um, so, and we knew it was going to be tough at Preston. Um, but, you know, we knew that if we could stay in the game, that it, no one, even that, that whole season, no one really wanted to come to Gillingham because it was a tough place to come and uh, it was a fortress really. It was always going to be difficult. So we knew we were still in the game and that away goal was important to us. And, um, yeah, I just remember, you know, scoring the goal. It was so early in the game, wasn't it? Um, and we was hanging on, to be fair, to be fair, Preston, they put a lot of pressure on us, but we defended for our lives. Um, the atmosphere was phenomenal and uh, we got through. It was an emotional night, to be honest. And I remember being interviewed afterwards, full of tears. I mean, two young kids with me as well. And it was, um, you know, it was a dream come true. That um, Another dream that I, I didn't think I'd ever have an opportunity to play at, at, the, uh, at the home of football at Wembley, you know. And, you know, to get an opportunity to go to, to play there was uh, was a, a massive highlight of, 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 or biggest highlight of my career. Um, obviously, follow, following your goal to take us to Wembley, the, the stage was set. You led the side out as skipper, as you had done all season, but this time at a packed Wembley. Talk me through that day. Obviously, a lot of people fancied City to just steamroll Gillingham. Yeah, obviously, we're massive underdogs. Uh, the build-up to it was fantastic. The week leading up to the game was... I never know anything like it, the amount of press we had. You know, obviously, get a week, sort of week before, we'd... we'd all gone to get our suits for the game and you know it was just so much on the game and um, it was all talked about um, Man City really most as much as we had our press I think they had more press but because they're big they're a massive club and you know Gillingham it's little old Gillingham there's no no chance really the game's over we we can't uh, we can't beat Man City no chance and uh, but again the group of players we had and the determination we had as a as a group of people that we're not just going to go out on that pitch and just make up the numbers. And, uh, you know, I remember coming out of the tunnel and just seeing, when we come out to look at the pitch, it's sort of an hour before kick-off or a little bit earlier than that, and the fans were already in the stadium, like the Jules fans. It was it was phenomenal. It just sort of, you know, it was goosebumps and air, air on the back of your neck type of thing as you walked out, the noise. And, uh, you know, and then actually walking out Captain the team, um, the fireworks going off was well. It was it was unbelievable. It was uh, I think it took you back to them days, the, the day of being released from Cholton. You know, thinking this is what it's brought me. You know, all that hard work's brought me the opportunity to to play at Wembley in a final and uh, against Man City. Um, the partnership we spoke about earlier of obviously Carlos Arbor and, and Bob, they both put us ten and up. Um, in that situation, did you honestly think in your mind there was any way that it wasn't going to be Gillingham going up those steps at Wembley to collect the trophy? Yeah, I agree. I thought we won the game. Yeah, I think like most people did. If, if I said, oh, I thought, nah, we, uh, we're not there yet, I think, yeah, you, that might go through your mind, we're not there yet, but I think people would be lying if they didn't say they, they thought they'd won it. Yeah, I, I thought we'd won it. Uh, and unfortunately, we hadn't won it. Um, you know, we to be fair, Tony made some decisions. 
Uh, we took off the two boys up top in the end and t- to see the game out and uh, it almost we dropped off too deep and, um, and we give them the opportunities and uh, you know, unfortunately for us th- and then there was a lot of time found on the referee's watch uh, where we there was a lot of talk about afterwards where did he get that time from type of thing um, but we should have you know at 2-0 we, we should have seen the game out and uh Unfortunately, we didn't, and uh, they came back, um, got the goals, Kevin Orlett and uh, Paul Dickoff, and um, you know, and then they went to, to extra time, which that was pretty much a non-event, the, the extra time, because of we were uh, they were out on their feet, and we was just so uh, I think you know deflated in terms of letting a two-nil lead go and within minutes left of the final whistle and uh, you probably should have perhaps put, could have easily gone straight to penalties <coughs> and um, and then obviously the penalty shootout well that was that was tough that was tough to, to, to be involved in that and uh, I didn't take a penalty but just to just to see us get knocked out or lose, lose the final uh, on penalty after we put so much into it was uh, was heartbreaking Obviously, it's it's one of those games as well. Um, because of the drama of it, it, it is a playoff classic, unfortunately. And it's one of those you see it on your telly every year. And yeah. I, I bet it's one of those you're you're sitting there on the sofa flicking through the sports channels, and all of a sudden, you're reminded of it all over again, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. You see it quite a bit, don't you? Because it was a classic, and uh, which, like I say, at the time, yeah, they they showed in the clips of the Man City fans leaving the stadium and. The story of um, the Noel Gallagher leaving. There was a massive Man City fan, and he actually left. And people running back when they saw the goal, one of the goals going. And so yeah, that was a classic. It'll always be on there, like most of the classics are. They they always already rerun, so they rerun them pretty much every year, as you say. So listen, I suppose in a way it's nice to be part of that uh, that classic, but obviously on the wrong end of that one, you yeah. know. So. Um, but we, we got over it. You get over it. It's, it takes a bit of time, and uh, you know, and then you can be proud of, of what you achieved that year, really. Um, yeah, we will move swiftly on because the next year was the year we want to talk about. Obviously, yeah. um, Tony was was sacked five weeks after the uh, the final. Yeah. Uh, and your old friend Peter Taylor uh, was appointed as manager. Yeah, it was amazing, really. How it came about. I mean, obviously Tony went. And um, and then um, to be fair, we Steve Butler and myself had a conversation with the chairman because we were the, were the senior players of the team really, um, and and the chairman pretty much asked me to do become the manager with Steve as my assistant um, that year. Yeah, but I, I, at that time I got a call from him. We went and met. I spoke to Steve about it, and I I just felt that. I wasn't ready to be the manager at, at that stage. I felt as if I, I, um, I was still contributing quite a lot as a player. I still felt fit. Um, is it something I want to do in the future? Yes, coaching, managing. I'd like to get into that. Um, and I obviously still kept in contact with Peter, and uh, he just got the sack actually, the England job, under twenty-one job by Albert Wilkinson, and there was a little bit of uproar because he'd done such a fantastic job. At, as the England under-21 manager and uh, but he was out of work and he 
I remember he's in Cyprus on holiday. And um, before I called him, I spoke to Paul Scott. He said, look, I, I don't think I'm ready yet. I, you know, I think I need a bit more time. I need to be, you know, I need to get into that coaching scenario, management scenario, which perhaps somebody to learn off of type of thing. And um, I said, Peter Taylor's out of work to, to Paul Scott. He went, Paul knew anyway he was out of work I said what would you, what's, your, what's your thoughts and Paul said well give him a call see what he's doing so um, so I pretty much got straight on the phone to, to Pete he was, I didn't know he was in Cyprus but I phoned him to Forum Wingtone he was on holiday and said listen I've been offered a deal's job but I don't I'm not ready to do it but I've put your name forward would you be interested and he went 100% give me Paul's number oh, so uh, yeah he got, number, he got Paul's number and um, they, they spoke and uh, I remember being at home and I think it was about 1.30 in the morning I got a call and said to my missus Mose this time and it was the gaffer it was Peter Taylor and uh, he said listen I've done a deal with Paul I'm going to be the new manager and I want you and Steve Butler to be players still but get onto the coaching side of it as well so doing a bit of both um you know, are you up for that? And I went, yeah, of course. Been, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% I'm, I'm up for it. And, uh, and that's how it came about, really. I remember that, as I say, that one thirty in the morning call woke me up and uh, he said he's, gonna, he's got the job and uh, you're going to carry on playing. But, you know, I'll introduce you to parts of the coaching, you and Steve, and uh, we'll go from there. And that's what happened. So it was an absolute roller coaster. Uh, of a time um, for you. Obviously, you've gone through the yeah. City game. Um, five weeks later, Tony sacked. Um, and then you're offered the Jules job, you turn it down, you put yeah. you put forward your friend Peter and return the favour of what he'd done for you throughout the years. Um, and then you're yeah. you're offered a coaching role as well as that. So yeah, it was a whirlwind. And, and what you just said there, Peter always brings it up because a lot of articles I've done over the years. I mentioned Pete obviously being a big part of my footballing life, and he actually is good like that. He, he actually says. Well, you returned the favour, didn't you? And he actually, he mentions that. Well, I didn't do it because of what he did, but I did it because I know he's a fantastic guy, a good good manager, good coach. Um, and I just thought he was, he'd be right for the football club. And, uh, you know, he, and what he did do, was, was able to do, he's, he inherited a very good bunch of players. And that's what I said to him. Listen, you haven't got to do too much here, by the way. You put your own stamp on it, but there's a good group here that will work really hard for you. And, uh, you know, we believe what we can we can achieve something. Even though we had the knockback against Man City, we could definitely achieve something. If you know, if, if by adding a few other players, then we can do it. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, no, he does mention that about oh, you know, about me and, and tells the story really. So uh, yeah, it's nice and you know, it's nice to get back to it with that relationship again because he's um, you know, like I say I got on really well with him. Um, obviously, after everything had calmed down and the whirlwind was over and everything had, was settled, was there a sense of, among obviously you and, and, and Peter and obviously Paul Scully, was there a sense of, OK, this, this season we, we have to go up now after last season? Yeah, I think, um, I think it, um, for us, was uh, we got so close and, and really should have won, should have gone through that year after being 2-0 up, but we didn't. Um, a lot of teams that fail in the, in the traditionally fail in the playoffs end up struggling the year after. Yes, um, and that was always 
always in the back of our mind that that could happen. But like I said, I think, um, and people say that he inherited a good squad of players there. There wasn't many that left. There was, you know, a good group that, you know, come so close against Man City. It just needed tinkering. Um, and, um, you know, we, we had that real belief and we had that real hunger to to put right what went wrong the year before. And you could just feel that in the group that we can do this. We can we can get back to, we can either get outright promotion or we can we can have to go through the playoffs again. And uh, it turned out, you know, that being the case. Obviously, you said the last season where we went on to face City at Wembley and obviously we lost. You said that season felt really special. Was there any difference between that season and this season during the course of it where you thought, OK, this year is the year we are actually going to do it? Not really. I, thought, I remember we had to go to Wrexham. I think it was Wrexham away. I mean, if we went at Wrexham, I think we could have got outright promotion and we lost. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was the case. It was um, an absolute screamer from them as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I just think uh, it felt pretty much the same. It's because of the, the way the players were with each other on the pitch and off the pitch, it felt that we could, you know, just... We we can we can be up there again because everybody sort of wrote us off at the start of the season because of this tradition of struggling. I, I always believed that we could do... I, I didn't think that we'd end up doing it the way we did by getting the playoff again, again, to win. I didn't think that would happen again. I thought we could get definitely outright promotion, you know, yeah. and to, to go through that that uh, that, that playoff. Uh, sorry, the uh, in the playoff. So, um, but I suppose in the, for the for the it's the best way to go. Yeah, of course. So we for two years on the spin, we've ended up going getting through to, to Wembley, and, and this time we, we've actually won the won the game. So, um, but yeah, no, it just it just. It felt pretty much the same. It was with a different manager, and but it was the same set of players. Pretty much the same set of players, you know. So, um, you know, it was it, it was a real a real drive to perhaps put put what went wrong the year before to to put it right this year. You know, the year after. Um, like you touched on, we we finished in third, and we did have the chance to seal an automatic spot on the last day away to Wrexham. Um, after obviously it was full time we'd lost and you know we're in the playoffs again were you and the other boys sitting there thinking oh god here we go again here we go again yeah I think so I think I did I did here we go again it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough we've got to get through the playoffs again now and then you've got to get to Wembley and then you've got to try and win at Wembley and you're thinking blimey could we do it again yeah of course we could but you know it's going to be difficult um and uh, like I say, we but we knew that we still had an opportunity. As much as I think we were really deflated because I think deep down everybody thought we could definitely get out of our promotion. Um, so for that, that not to happen, it, it felt a little bit like we, we failed a little bit because I remember after the game, it was, you know, that Wrexham game was so the coach and going back and. Um, the boys were so down about it because we, I think we all wanted to put it to bed because obviously the season continues for a few more weeks. You've got to play out know, the playoffs, yeah. and you know I think a lot of the players are tell you now that they want to they want to get outright promotion and then get, get one only a bit quicker. So um, I think it's a case that we now got to carry on training and prepare for the playoffs again. So um, 
but yeah, listen, we we knew. I suppose what what we had in our favour, we'd been there before, and we knew what we we knew what to expect, and we knew what we had to do. Um, this time it was Stoke in the semi-finals. Uh, we lost the first leg three-two, but you scored yeah. one of the best solo long-range goals. Yeah. I think in Gillingham history, uh, in the last minute to give us hope going into the second leg. Is that the best goal you think you've ever scored? Yeah. Best goal I've scored, yeah, 100%. And the most important goal without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I know the Preston goal was important, that got us to. But this one was, you know, being at Stoke away and position we were in, you know, 3 1 down at the time. And, uh, you know, you're thinking, blimey, it's, we're going to struggle now. You know, 3 1, 3 1 to them and yeah I mean we could you could win 2 new at our place yeah of course you could but you know to to be 3-2 and only you know say two away goals because they counted again and it gave us a massive chance and to be fair I remember it, it was one of those where I knew the clock was ticking and it was a case of I think I remember Steve Butler saying pass it to me I think he was or getting in the box I can't remember exactly but I'd have one thing in mind to be fair as soon as I got here and I came inside just have a shot just have a go you never know try your luck to be fair it, 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 if you see the goal it, it bubbles up a little bit it actually does me a favour because I, if, it, if it had been just flat along the floor I probably would have been out of reach from that distance but um, it popped up nicely and it, yeah it went in like went in like a rocket so um I think they was a bit disappointed. The manager was very disappointed about again going back to the referee with the time added on, and uh, we weren't worried about that. We knew that that second goal is, you know, is more is almost like winning the game type of thing because you know two goals away from home means we've only got to go back to our place and, and win one nil again. And um, talking to my family and then leaving the stadium at Stoke because all my family there, my brothers. And, I was walking back and uh, he said he never got kissed so much by Jules fans on the way out. He said, they were jumping, jumping on top of him, your brother, legend, stuff like that. He said, he said it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, my family, you know, that was all there. And, you know, so it was, yeah, it was a, probably one of the best, again, and one of my best footballing uh, highlights, I've got to say, that, that day of Stoke. Um, we obviously did win the second leg, uh, but it took extra time. Uh, Wembley again, this time Wigan. Um, did it feel any different at all to the last year's semi-final win? Uh, I think it was a little bit. There was a bit more. I felt there was a bit more pressure on us this time. Yeah, I know. Again, Wigan, big club. Um, I just felt because we the year before there was no pressure on us at all because it was Man City. I think, uh, and and I think we brought our own pressure to the group. Because because we hadn't fulfilled outright promotion or made promotion, and we've now gone back to Wembley, and that added a bit of pressure that, listen, it can't happen again. Surely we can't lose two two years in a row at Wembley. Um, so I think there was a bit of and I think that I think that was in the performance a bit. We wasn't brilliant, I didn't think, in the game, you know, up until we dug in at the death, but I don't think we was excellent in the game. And... Uh, got a little bit of luck that we needed with the sending off um, but yeah, yeah I felt we just it was a little bit more pressure and um, and you know I think that showed a little bit in our performance um, yeah again at Wembley had to be done the hard way uh, same old Gillingham um, 
extra time it was, and and Andy Thompson's goal fired us to the first division. Did you ever think you would ever get to right the wrongs of Wembley and actually do it at the stadium again? Obviously, that season was famous for not only the promotion, but the, the, the cup run in the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, reached the quarterfinals, was it? It was a good um, final, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was a good year, you know. We had a great run in the FA Cup. And, still our best run as well. Yeah, I, I think, again, it goes back to the group. No, but I, I remember when we played, like, not Sheffield Wednesday, and, you know, and, and your Bradford. And, do you know, it was it was like... The big clubs that come to Gillingham, they didn't want to come. Part of the stadium was being built and a new stand was being built and there was a lot of building work going on. It wasn't a particularly pretty place to come and play. Uh, no one really wanted to come. And I remember I remember the Sheffield Wednesday game when we come out of the poor cabins to come out onto the pitch because of the, a new stand being built. And um, I looked into the uh, Sheffield Wednesday players' eyes. I think mean, we all did. And you could see that they... They were nervous and perhaps didn't fancy it type of thing. And we had a group of players here that were determined to cause a shock and uh, it turned out that way, you know. And again, it was, it was just the group that we had there, you know. Um, the big boys are coming into town and we're not worried about them type of thing. And, you know, we went through and, uh, as you say, we played Chelsea away at uh, Stamford Bridge, another great feeling of playing at a, a top, top stadium against top, top players. Uh, World Cup players and all right, we lost 5-0 but you know, I think it was 1-0 at half time we was doing okay and then and then they pushed the, you know obviously come out second half and you know, they, they, they won comfortably but you know another great achievement Jill, um, for Jill to get to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup but it, you know nobody would have thought about that either you know so it was a great year Of course you, you mentioned the, the Sheffield Wednesday game I don't envy whoever it was that had to pick the goal of the season for that campaign because obviously you had yours at Stoke Nicky's against uh, Sheffield Wednesday was an yeah. unbelievable goal great goal wasn't it yeah I can see that one now as well he, he still shows me that when he can as well you know? I bet I he does I don't show him mine now, but he tends to show, he show <laughs> that Sheffield Wednesday one but you know it was, it was some good goals wasn't it you know and to be fair to be fair to Trigger he, he pretty much says mine's the better goal I mean you know why because I think Nicky scored a lot of goals in his career very good goals you know I didn't get many so I think he was being kind to me and give it to me that year <laughs> the Stoke goal was the best goal but it was a cracker as well as you say but he has scored I've looked at quite a few goals over, over his career he scored some good goals so I think he was being nice to me that year and give it to me um, the season after obviously Peter Taylor went to Leicester didn't he yeah and you were 
finally appointed as player manager. And what felt right about it this time for you? I just think that year of experience being alongside Pete, being in his office after training every day and before with Butts as well, we, you, know, you picked up things. I know you pick up things from managers anyway, but actually being in the office alongside him and what he had to do as a, as a manager, what the job entailed and, uh, and you know, what... what um, you know what? What you have to do as a manager is not just a case of taking training and uh, everything off the pitch. You have to deal with as well and agents and stuff like that. I think I got an insight into that, and uh, it helped. And uh, yeah, I just felt perhaps that year was uh, was the year really that I can have an opportunity to uh, to uh, to take over and uh, have a right crack at it, but carry on playing still because. I took advice and spoke to a few people, and they said, "Look, you're still you're still contributing on the pitch, and all the time you're contributing, then, you know, don't give up playing. See if you can do the two jobs." And uh, and that's and that's what I did. Really, I, I could have gone with Peter Lester, but you know, I wanted to, I wanted to pick my wits at uh, being uh, being a manager at, uh, of Gillingham, and uh, you know, I was, I was excited by it. Obviously, another one of those things that you said the player manager thing isn't obviously something we see a lot of nowadays and it was something that, that you were very good at at the time because in your first season you led us to a 13th place finish and you got a place in the Football League team of the year despite a big leg injury that season yeah no I had a tough tough year with an injury but you know it was a phenomenal season really because we again we were going to be the underdogs because of the size of the club the budget stuff like that it was going to be difficult but the one thing taking over this group of players again I go back to them is they made it so easy for me I remember the first the first um, team talk I had to do as, as a manager uh, bearing in mind I was all my teammates I remember getting in the room at, at, uh, at the ground they're all sitting there they're all waiting in anticipation to, for my first managerials speech type of thing and talk to him so I've got them all together as Adrian Pennock I think Barry Ashby Paul Smith all sitting in the back of the room <coughs> and I tried not to look at them because I knew if I started looking at them I'd have a problem because they're you know, they're such good characters and great lads but, of course yeah um, I started to talk um, and I, I looked up and they were just they just had grins on their faces and they just made me laugh so much. I had to go out of the room and start laughing. I couldn't talk to them. And they all laughed as well. And, and to be fair, I didn't go back in and do a talk. I think that pretty much summed them up because from after that, you know, they were absolutely first class. A bunch of players. That they knew how tough the job was going to be for me. And, you know, what it came with being a player and a manager. And they made it so much easier for me. They were, they were first class and uh, they know I'm an honest person. So I had to make some tough calls in terms of leaving players out games and, and stuff like that. And, you know, when, when you're playing yourself as well, it's, it's, it's even harder. But, you know, they, they they appreciated that. They respected that. And, you know, they they went along with it and, and, and they believed in it. And they believed in me, which is, you know, again, I... I I, I couldn't thank them enough, really. The, the time I was player manager, they were first class, the boys. Your fear, obviously, going into that first team talk was not to give a laugh away or, you know, come across laddish to, obviously, your your old teammates. But if anything, 
do you think that actually happening and you having that giggle with obviously your players if anything helped your cause and it was you know you had their back and they know that they yeah, had yours course. yeah you know I, I knew listen I, it, it was always going from being a manager from being a player to the manager you know what do they call me you know and that's always going to be a problem to players they call me Desi German midget I've had all sorts over the years <laughs> you know so um, you know they call me the boss or the gaff or whatever they asked me I said look you call me what you want you call me what you want if you want to call Karen call me SE or a German or whatever you want to call me uh, you call me what you want and uh, do you know what from day one they called me the gaffer and that was uh, again uh, hats off to them all and respect for them all because you know, it, felt, it made me feel good it felt that they respected me as well and uh, you know so you know from day one they they, they were brilliant and uh, like I say along with with Richard Hill because I brought Richard in as a because Stevie Butts was with us and then he went off to to, to Leicester with Pete. So yeah. I had to replace Stevie, got Richard in. Um, Rich was brilliant, to be fair. He was, uh, you know, a proper number two, as I say. You know, um, he was honest. Him and Wayne Jones, because Wayne was still at the club. And, uh, uh, Wayne was, he was a physio, but he, he was, you know, a bit of player and, he, he, you know, well-respected as a player and uh, he'd done his coaching. So... Them two, uh, I relied on them a lot, to be honest. And uh, you know, I remember there's a couple of games that I said, I'm going to leave myself out. And they convinced me not to because they thought that, you know, I was still contributing enough. And they were the tough decisions I had to make. But, you know, they were good in that respect. Now, you know, why are you leave yourself out? You're still, you know, you're still doing the business on the pitch. We need you on there type of thing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that's what you needed from the staff. And Rich was excellent. And, um, and Jonah... And uh, they were great to bounce off of the, you know, bounce things off of each other, of them and uh, and use their experience because uh, I needed it. Not only your staff, but you were blessed with so many leaders in that team, which yet again brings back the point of you don't see that a lot nowadays. No, that's right. On the pitch, like you say, it's so nice to be have a group of players that uh, you know managers. Will love that when they cross that white line. You haven't just got one player; you've got quite a few out there that can lead the troops, type of thing. And uh, like you say, you can go through, go through them all. You know, your Barry Ashby's, your Aidy Pennant, your Guy Butters, your Paul Smiths. You know, uh, just to name a few there. You're playing with these boys, and you know, Nicky Southalls, and they're going to, um, you know, they're going to help you massively on the pitch. And if you're not playing yourself as a manager. You know, you know, you've got the, you've got three or four captains out there. We'll keep pushing the boys along, and uh, uh, and that showed because we, we we held our own and we got improved on each year, really, in the championship and that you know in a tough league, which is getting tougher. Um, sorry to change the subject quite drastically, but my one of my favourite memories of you as a player manager um, has to be the time you were sent to the stands. As the manager, um, so you sent off one red card, and then you've you've brought yourself on just to spot the referee, and you've been booked despite already receiving a red card. Yeah, I know. That was, I tell that story quite a lot of people because it was on. Um, I think it was on Question of Sport on what happened next. He actually got on Question of Sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I tell that story quite a bit, and it is a funny story. And funny enough, it was the manager of Carl, it was uh, Lenny Lawrence, wasn't it? So yeah. It was, um, a manager, again, that I knew pretty well. But, yeah, no, 
excuse me, we was having um, we was having a tough time at Cardiff. I think we might have been losing three or four nil at the time. I'm not hundred percent sure. I know we were, it was it was quite uncomfortable for us. Uh, and I was sucked that day. Yeah, um, things weren't going well, and uh, I'd have an altercation with the with the linesman and. Um, so obviously, I was I was in the in the in the sitting in the in the dugout, and uh, the ref came across and sent me to the stand. Um, so obviously, I had a warmly kit on. I, I remember walking down the tunnel, the Cardiff, to, to, to walk off, and uh, and uh, next to me, um, I heard some footsteps, and it was uh, my assistant Richard Richard Hill running down. He said, "Gaffer, why don't you just put yourself on now?" You know, you know, you just you know go and sit up there, get out there, get amongst the players, you know. Oh, so it wasn't even your idea. No, it wasn't my idea. I mean, to be fair, I didn't think about that. I mean, yeah, right, yeah, that's that sounds all right to me. <laughs> so I walked back up the tunnel, come out, took my jumper off, I looked to the right, and Lenny Lawrence was laughing his head off. The crowd all going, "Hang on, what's going on? He's just been sent off." <laughs> and I, even the, even like the the ref, because born out playing, we made some ref. Ref sort of having a little bit of a, he's having a look thinking, hang on a minute, and it, it, it's, it's almost like, what do I do here, really? And then he couldn't really do anything else because I'm a player now, you know. You've sent me off as a manager, but I'm a, I'm a player now. So you, you know, you haven't sent me off as a player. You sent me off as a manager. Yeah. So I put, so I ended up going back on, um, and then within two minutes, he, I got yellow carded. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was uh, unbelievable. The, the, the scenario and the way, the way it panned out, but yeah, it's a story that I've, I've told over the years a few times, and um, it, it is quite a funny story. And when you tell it in football, people sometimes don't believe you. How can that happen? But there was no uh, there was no rules. There wasn't many player managers around at that time. I think I think Paul Ince was one. I think he was doing it, but there wasn't many around, so there wasn't no rule for that really. Well, yeah, what is the rule for that? At the end of the day. I was sent to stand by manage, as a manager, but I'm not as a player, so that's why I put myself on. Well, was it Richard, Richard's idea, to be fair? But so I, I quite, I thought it was a good idea, to be honest. The referee was probably looking for the the perfect time to give you another red as well. Yeah, imagine that getting sent off twice. <laughs> <wasn't it? laughs> um, the next two seasons, you led us to twelfth and eleventh place finishes. Uh, yeah. The best, obviously, in our history, still. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next season, though, obviously wasn't quite the same, and you ended up handing in your resignation as manager. Um, what exactly changed in those? I know it's quite broad; it's the three seasons. But what exactly changed over the three seasons? I just think finance, really. I think the club, the, the league, become bigger and bigger, and harder and harder to deal with. And I think that's why we've done so well. And I think we, we lost a few players, we sold a few players, and we didn't really replace them players, the likes of Paul Shaws and stuff like that. We. We didn't re- re- replace them, and I think Paul was struggling financially in terms of trying to keep up. So in in, in the end, I think the inevitable was going to happen. Um, and you know, I had a conversation with Paul and the guy the crew, and they beat us quite comfortably. And uh, he just said, "Look, you know, you're looking, you're not looking. You look, you thought I looked unwell, you know." To be fair, conversation with the family, and I think it was taking its toll on me with my health as well because it was. We're so determined to, to carry on doing well each year. But this that year was, was, was becoming harder and and perhaps I, at that time I just felt it, it perhaps needed a new voice to, to think about changing our fortunes and, and, and 
us being able to stay up. And uh, I had a playing contract at the time, and uh, you know, so I had a conversation. We was all honest with each other, and uh, I think it just become too much for me. And uh, in the end, um, that's what I did. Um, I don't regret that. But I just felt it was the right thing to do for the football club, and uh, you know. At that time, he needed a different voice to, to try and change things around. But because of the finances and because of the league was getting harder, harder, you've only got to look at the championship now. Each year, it's, it, would, it was always going to get harder. Finances were going to catch up on you, and, and that was the case. Um, obviously, as you say, you did still remain uh, a player for the Jills. Um But I'm pretty sure you were offered a role on the board after you handed in your resignation as a manager. Yeah. Whether that be Gillingham for the new manager was always going to be difficult, or go elsewhere and do and, and carry on playing elsewhere. You know, the pressures of being managers off my shoulders. I'm still fit. Um, I could perhaps go around and you know, I knew it would be difficult to play for Gillingham again because of the situation. Um, I would, you know, is because you know Gillingham was in my blood. You know, whoever came in, I wanted them to do well, and you know. And I would never cause a problem, and you know, it was always maybe it was going to be a problem for the manager because I'd been the manager as well. But you know, so um, I just thought, well, listen, I can still contribute a player, uh, as a player. Let's see what happens, and, and we'll go from there. Um, you made a loan move in January to to hold, didn't you? Um, yeah. And you got promoted with them, but obviously yeah. we were relegated from the division they got yeah. promoted to. Yeah. Sweet, really, because 
you know, sweet the week before and better the week after, you know, to be to go up and then see my club go down. And, you know, and obviously I was part of that, you know, because I'd been there. Uh, so it, was, it was a tough day to take, really, because, um, you know, we didn't want to go down. But it, I, I always did down thought that that could happen because of the way the game was changing and the way the finances were changing. And we, we, we become a small team, really, in a, in a big division. And, and like I said, it, it caught up with us in the end. Yeah, and obviously, am I right in thinking that Hull was the last time you linked up with Peter Taylor as you, in your playing career? Yes, yeah, um, it was, yeah. That was the last time I, I, I linked up with him as in playing-wise, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I say, so it was sweet one week and better than the week after. And uh, it was tough, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, we had, we had a great time in the Championship, but you've only got, like I say, you've only got to look at the Championship now and how tough it would be. Could, could you see Gillingham in the Championship? And he could, he could, but, he, you know, it's financially we're a long way off from, from, from being able to compete in that division, I believe. I think the years gone by, you've, you've seen sides, I'd, I'd say even smaller clubs than Gillingham, enter the Championship. You've seen Burst and Albion, Yeovil, and they're yeah. they're just they're just not able to compete, and I think we would fit into that that bracket. Yeah, and you just mentioned the club there that was uh, in the national league, that Yeovil. So we're a big club who's playing Leeds a few years ago. So that just shows that, that you, you, can, you can you can definitely fall down the ladder. Um, fortunately, Jules haven't. I think Jules are in a division that they should be in. Personally, they're not a League Two club. I think they are a League One club at the moment, um, and, and that's me being honest. And I, yep. you know, I think, I think if Paul was on the line now, I think he'd say the same. You know, um, I think he's been trying to get investors to the football club to to push to push the club on, and and that's what it needs. It needs a bigger investor to come in uh, alongside Paul or Paul leave perhaps, and um, you know, another somebody else comes and takes the club over. That can actually get them back to to the championship, but at present, I mean, Gillingham are in the league; they should be in. Um, obviously, talking about managers and stuff, uh, the current manager at Gillingham, you obviously had quite a famous falling out with on the touchline. Stevie, yeah, yeah, no, Stevie. I've done Steve for a long time. We've had a few rows, and um, yeah, we played Crawley away. Um, I'll tell you the story. Um, whether he tells you the same as me, he probably won't. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, listen, he had words on the line, like a lot of managers do. He wants to win a game of football. I want to win Boxing Day at Crawley. And we won the game. And he said a few words to me. I said a few words to him. And uh, I got arrested. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got arrested after the game. And, and then it was, um, we had um, a meeting with the Kent Police on the Monday. Uh, and it was all dropped. Steve dropped everything. And listen, it was a hit a moment stuff. Um, I get on well with him as much as people say we had the row I'm, I'm certainly a person that doesn't hold grudges with anybody yeah. I'm not that type of person um, and I don't think he is as well he'll have a row with you on the line but you can have a drink with him afterwards and uh, you know he's a character and I think that's what Chillingham need um, you know so I actually get on well with Stephen and Paul his uh, assistant Paul Rayner so you know, I've got a lot of respect for him, and I'm, I know he's got a lot of respect for me. And uh, but uh, listen, at the end of the day, we're in football business, and we're trying to win football matches. And you're going to say things uh, to, to to each other, and uh, 
as long as you can you can get on with it and forget about it like I can, um, then then for me that's the best way to be. You obviously turned into quite the pantomime villain after that incident with yourself, um, because obviously you are a Gillingham legend. They're held in such high regard, and <laughs> Gillingham fans didn't, and some still don't like him. But now yeah. a, a lot of people are behind him, and he's yeah. carrying carrying us the right way. Yeah, he's pushing in the right way now, and he wants to pantomime villain and they give him a bit of stick. But listen, like I say, it's about winning football matches, organising them. Um, and getting the fans on your side, like a player, you've got to go and perform on the pitch week in, week out, and you get the players on, you get the fans on your side, and I did that as a player, and that's what you have to do as a manager. You got, you got to get your team performing and and getting results, um, because that's you know you're the manager, and uh, you know Steve, they're on a great run at the moment. It's all been disrupted because of this unfortunate situation, um, you know, and uh, he's, he's he's putting his stamp on the club now, and. Uh, He's doing very well. Um, obviously, back to your playing days. Um, the next season from your promotion and relegation uh, was your last in the Jill shirt. Um, but that yeah. season, you become the oldest player to ever represent the club at 40 years and four months of age. Yeah. Um, that must have been some achievement. Did you think when you first joined Ginningham, age 30, you would still be playing for the club 10 years later? No, I didn't, to be honest. Not, not as long as that. I thought I could play for for a fair while because you know I, I was able to keep up my fitness levels I think that because you came into the game came, I came into the game quite late you appreciate it more you want it more and you want to keep playing as long as you can um, you know so uh, and I was you know, I say fortunate with, with injuries I didn't have too many other than the, the bad knee the cut I had against Bournemouth um, to put me out for a while but to, to, you know, I'd, I'd probably envisage playing until I was about 37 but but to go beyond that was, was phenomenal really and uh, you know, again it was just that desire to carry on playing and, and doing that extra bit to keep yourself fit and uh, you know no, it, was, it was a great achievement to do that uh, and then I obviously went off I left Yules and then went off to, to, to finish my playing career really at a professional level at Barnet didn't I you know so I had 18 months there and, uh, and, and, and you know enjoyed my time there to be honest um, as you say like you, you come into professional football um, when you was 26 and obviously you've, yeah. you've left it in your 40s so realistically you've had still the career span in football as maybe someone that would would have had their whole career in the football league yeah that's right you know some, some players you know get in when they're so if you started as a professional at 20 you know which you'd be looking to do or maybe a little bit younger but you know say 20 and then you if, like say 14 sort of 14 years um, or oh, and beyond that, really, slightly beyond that, you uh, um, it's the same as somebody coming in, into it, you know, at that younger age. So yeah, I achieved a, a, you know a, a full career, really. I suppose as you say, you know, I did come in at uh, at twenty six, and so yeah, I've got no regrets at all. Um, you know, I think uh, the only one mistake slightly I made was perhaps being a little bit too hasty when I left Watford, but. Listen, I wouldn't have had the career I had at Gillingham if I hadn't done that. So, um, you know, I'll, I've been pleased with my playing career and a manager career to, to manage in the championship, you know, uh, my hometown club. And, and, you know, as you said, finishing the 11th, which is the, the highest in the club's history and probably will be for a while. Um, you know, I've, I've been proud of sort of my achievements, really. Um 
In 2006, you did return for one last time in a Gillingham strip as you had your testimonial. Yet again, banging the same drum. Not something we see nowadays, really. Um, that must have been an emotional day for you. It was a, it was a very deserved testimonial. Yeah, it was great, to be fair. I had the whole family behind me and I put a little committee together, did a few events during the year and then had the game at the end of it. And, uh, yeah, it was an emotional time. And, you know, thanks to Alan Parger and West Ham and likes of Teddy was playing and, you know, the players that were playing in that was, was phenomenal for me. I think it was 8,000 there, like just over 8,000. So it was, it was a great turnout and uh, a real family day for me. And, and, and lots of memories and, uh, you know, great that, uh, like you say, you don't see it so much now, but because, um, you know, players don't stay at clubs for that long, do they now? But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I can look back at my time and say, you know, thank the club for, for letting me have a testimonial as well. And, uh, you know, and a great day all around, really. Yeah, it's not something I, I can imagine seeing in the years to come at, at Gillingham or any other professional team really the only ones I can think of in modern football that have happened are maybe Mark Noble and, and Tony Hibbert obviously West Ham and Everton yeah a, few, yeah, a couple of men obviously the men you've done it haven't they you know uh, I've been there for a while and you know I did testimonials so yeah it just doesn't seem to be the thing now does it you know players stay at a club for that long anymore and uh you know, players move on, they get a, they get chances. As you say, Mark Noble's probably the exception at the moment. A lot of premiership boys, stuff, they go on to play abroad, don't they, as well now. Um, so you don't see it so much now. Um, you did slightly touch on it on one of your previous answers, but I would like to discuss your managerial career. Yeah. Um, obviously, you, you went to Dover. Yeah. That was your first. Um, I believe you were still playing whilst you were managing at Dover. Yes, I played. I left um, when I left Barnet because I was having problems with calves. Then I felt perhaps it was time to to call it a day uh, playing really. But I did say that if I, you know if I went um, to another club, not a professional club, but perhaps a non-league club, then I could turn out still as a as a player if need be, and uh, and that's what I did. I, you know, I'd, it was funny because before I went to Barnet, I had a letter from Jim Parmenter about becoming their new manager um, and I, I sent him a letter back to say um, Jim at this present time I, you know, I'm looking to carry on playing I've been offered a chance to go and play for Barney and help them so that's what I'm going to do and uh, so then when I left Barney then he called me again and you know, he invited me down to come and meet him uh, to be the manager then and I met him and the, and the directors and they sold it to me really that they you know they I was in a real dire situation. I was in the Ryman South, going nowhere, and I needed to, to climb the tables. It was a real challenge. And it's funny because it's another story where I, I, I go back to speak to people that I trust in football. And so I phoned Peter Taylor, I phoned John Steele. And to be fair to Peter, he said, don't do it. Peter said to me, don't do it. He said, you've managed in the championship. You know, you've managed in, you know, a, a real good level. And... Uh, you know, if you go there, Ryman South, it goes wrong. Then, if you, you know, if you're looking to get back into higher and bigger things, then that, that could go against you. <coughs> and I, you know, I went against Pete. To be fair, I just think oh, maybe I was beating the chairman and that, maybe that, that design. I thought that it's going to challenge that we could get them up the pyramid because 
because of the players you know and, and what you've worked with and you might be able to get some out of league clubs and uh, and that's what we did and we were fortunate we I went down there took over and I carried on playing for a bit as well and we won the Ryman South quite comfortably we emulated that a year after we won the Ryman Premier League um, and then in the, and then we got we were in the Conference South and, and we unfortunately lost in the playoffs in the, in the Conference South against Woking but yeah it, it was good it was a good Good, uh, good time there, and we got them out the doldrums really because, as I say, they were they were in a in a really tough place as a club, and uh, you know, we got the crowds back, and we were getting thirteen, fourteen hundred in the end. So um, yeah, no, it was it was a good time there, and, uh, and, and enjoyed my enjoyed my time there. It wasn't long though until uh, you came back to your spiritual home. Gillingham uh, yeah. came calling. Um, how on earth did that move come about? I just got a call from Paul. Would, would you come back? Um, you know, it was a real tough one to make a decision. But I think if it, do you know, I think if it hadn't been drilling, I don't think I would have done it. I think I would have stayed where I am. I stayed at Dover because I felt that we had something going at Dover, and we could get, you know, the, the aim was to get him in the football league and the yeah, ambitious chairman he is and. You know, we had them two promotions and then we just lost in the playoffs and you know, we, I knew that we could go again the year after and, and perhaps get promoted and then you're in the top flight of non-league. And, but because it was Paul, you know, a real good friend of mine, um, family friend, and we know each other so well and it was a case of, he pestered me, oh, come on, you know, an opportunity to get back managing the league again. And uh, So I, found it, I did find it difficult. I just went and spoke to Jim and uh, Jim Barber and, I said, look, you know, I, I, I want to go back to, to Jill's and, you know, he didn't make it hard for me, Jim. I, I, I didn't think it, it went down very well with the fans, but um, he didn't make it hard for me. And um, I ended up going back there because because it was Gillingham. Um, people say you should never go back. Um, I don't regret going back, even though it was a tough time there the second time around. I don't regret, regret going back at all. And, uh you know, uh, but that's how it came about. Really, it was just because it was Paul and he, he kept pestering me. I decided to do it. Your tenure lasted two seasons, and we came so close in both of those seasons to achieving a playoff spot. I think it was one point both seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think my, I think it was one point. Oh, the other one, the other season was goal difference. I think that end. was it. That was it. I think it was goal difference and one point. I think the other, one, the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Tough. A real shame, a real shame, really. But obviously, during your time back in charge, we did host Dover in the FA Cup. Um, yeah. And as you say, the fans didn't take the news of you leaving too well, no, despite no. despite your all of your successes with the club. Um, they beat us. Um, yeah. That that yeah. must have been really difficult to take because you took a lot of stick that day. Yeah, yeah, took a lot of stick. You know that, that happens in football. You know, you, you sort of get paid getting pats on the back and it's great when that happens but you've also got to take it you know and uh, it was a tough time for me uh, but I was, I was a strong character as a player and, and you know nothing was you know, I was always going to be able to handle a situation like that and as much as it is tough and you don't like it you have to handle the situation and I did do that um, but that year was tough yeah we got beat it was written in the stars a little bit um, you know Adam Burchell as well who I signed believe it or not um, for Dover and then obviously I signed him for Gillingham in the end anyway but um, I um, I uh, yeah it was it was one of those t- 
time. I don't, you see, I don't regret going back. I think we was really unlucky. Like you said, finishing just outside the playoffs, one on goal difference and one on just, I think, one point. Um, but that losing in the FA Cup was tough to take. Our fans, Gillingham fans, weren't happy, obviously. And there was a lot being said. And my family took a little bit of stick. My boy took a bit of stick. My, my daughter took a bit of stick, uh, being at university. So it weren't just me. My family were as well, which was unfair. But that, that's football. Unfortunately, it happens. Um, and you have to deal with it. And we dealt with it. I thought my son, was, son and daughter dealt with it excellently. Um, and, uh, you know, they're the tough times. And, you know, like I say, you have to be strong and, uh, and, and I was, and, and you know, and we got through that situation. And I was disappointed that when I actually, well, I did get a sack. To be honest, you know, when Paul, you know, decided to make the change, I was disappointed because I had another year left on the contract, and I felt that we were that close that year to get to doing something. I felt that we could do do something the year after, and uh, but unfortunately, wanted to make the change and uh, bring mine in. Um. Yeah, as you say, we we did make that change, and your contract was terminated in in twenty twelve, but you was instead offered a football development role. Um, how big of a change was it for you from having to you've gone from player player manager, back to player, and then to a manager, and now you're in a complete new role. Yeah, it was like director of football, really. But I didn't uh, I didn't really settle into the role at all. You know, I mean, I did the envious job, uh, unenvious job of uh, actually. Um, as, as much as I did it because uh, again got too much respect for Paul I, I actually sat and met Martin Allen to to um, interview him really we went to a pub I met Martin uh, we had a chat and I had to report back to Paul what I thought of, of Martin and you know would he be the right man for the job and um, then I got him in <clears throat> we got him in as a group and and in, uh, in the end we all decided Martin was the right man for, for my job really so it's it a strange situation but Again, because of the love of the club and the love of, of, of and the, you know, the friendship I've got with Paul Scully, you know, that's the, the person I am. I wanted to, I want to make sure the club was right as much as I was hurt, and I wanted to, I really wanted to still be the managers. I felt that this year could be the year, um, but Paul wanted to make the change, and I respected, uh, respected that because of, because of who he is, and uh, so yeah, it was tough because obviously then we put mine in, but listen. It turned out to be the right decision. They got promoted as much as it's quite a lot of my players there. He had some, some very good players, experienced players. Adam Barrett's in this world coming into the club, and to name a few. And um, you know, I think uh, you know they had the year that perhaps I wanted, and uh, they got promotion. But listen, I, I was just over the moon that um, that they bounced, they, they got their promotion, and, and, and got out of the division. I didn't last long in a role because I just felt that it wasn't for me and uh, and that's why I moved on, to be honest. Um, yeah, as you say, we did win the League 2 title that season. Um, you left your football development role um, and you just can't keep away from Ginningham, can you? Yeah, you come back as assistant manager a year later to, of yeah. course, Peter Taylor. Um how has it been a part of his coaching team once again after so many years and obviously coming back to Ginningham in that coaching role again? Yeah, it was, it was a strange situation. Uh, but again, you know, Pete just asked me to come back, come back, get involved, you know, and, uh, you know, at the time I was doing a bit of coaching locally and uh, he said, look, get back, get back to where you belong and come and help me here. So, again, no-brainer really. 
uh, when Peter asked, you know, or like I said, when Paul asked as well, and, you know, Paul said, look, yeah, get him back. And, you know, so that's what I did, you know, and it's, an, it's um, and I enjoyed it, you know, it was great to come back again. But, uh, you know, people say I'm a, I was getting nicknamed the boomerang that was going and coming back. <laughs> but uh, it's quite funny. But yeah, it's good. It was good to be back, you know. You did last, obviously, quite well in your assistant manager role, but we unfortunately see the last of you at Gillingham when you, Steve Lovell, Mark Patterson, and also Darren Hare were all placed on temporary charge. Uh, yeah. you, you got some good results as a quartet, to be fair, and you steadied the ship before the arrival of uh, Justin Edinburgh. Justin, yeah. Yeah, no, we did. It was good, you know. We, all, we sort of, you know, me and Steve and, and Darren, um, Pato, we, we sort of all put our heads together and, you know, I think we're just a case of let's let's try and improve the performances, get the boy in and get some results. And like I say, steady to ship really before um, before Justin came in. And uh, you know, I think the chairman. I've got to say, the chairman was because of what we did. I think he was in two. He was in two minds whether to, to make the change or uh, or just keep it as it was. But I think deep down, it was the right thing to do because you can only have one man at the helm really. And uh, and that's what he did with Justin, and uh, you know, got Justin in, and uh, and and I stayed for a bit as as he's, yeah. he means his number two. Um, but you know, I always felt that Justin wanted his own man in as well, so I stayed for a bit, and then obviously I went off to I had an opportunity to go to Orient with Ian, with Ian Hendon, so um, and then Justin brought his own man in. So I think that was what he really wanted to do, and I had my opportunity to go and work at Orient with with, with Ian. Yeah, that was the last we we've seen of you at Gillingham. Obviously, you say yeah. you you went on to Orient. You went there as an assistant manager. Ended up as the gaffer. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the owner's name, the Italian fella. Uh, Bacchetti. Yeah. Um yeah. A bit of a madman, if I remember rightly. Yeah. I remember yeah, seeing a clip it, of you getting. A, a, yeah, yeah, it was a right club at the wrong time. Right club because it's a great club. The wrong time because you had the wrong owners. Yeah, uh, that's how I look at it. Um, yes, had an occasion with him kicking me, and you know that was just crazy situation. Never known anything like in football. What happened with the kick thing? Uh, he was just we were winning, we were playing Portsmouth. Um, we won the game, but we, the game was a bit, you know, it was a tight game. Paul Paul, um, Paul Cook was the manager of Portsmouth at the time, um, and second half he decided to come and sit behind the dugout. I think he. Um, he might have been drinking, probably was drinking. <laughs> um, we won the game. Um, I made it, it was a two guys giving Ian a bit of stick like in his ear all the time. I made the, the sort of ear gesture to them to say, look, you're not sort of having a go now type of thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as I've turned, uh, I got started getting kicked to turn around. It was the chairman. Um, I went to throw a punch because I had to protect myself. And then Paul Cook, to be fair to Paul Cook, he went SES, he leave it, it's not worth it. Uh, and Cookie, Cookie thought he was a, he was a fan. And he, he, I said, it's the chairman. And he started laughing, Cookie. And, and then the chairman ran off. He kept running, ran off. And then one ran a pitch and was basically um, having a go at them, winding up the ports of fans. We won the game as well. I think it was 3 2. We won. It was like just a crazy day, really. And lots of uh, press, lots of Sky Sports news that means to say it was banter and stuff like that. But listen, I had a police on me all week to to try and take it further, but it was he was he was the chairman. I was never going to do that. I just wanted to get on with the football, and uh, you know, um, and, and that's what I did. And uh, but yeah, craziest time in 
I've got to say, that's probably the craziest time I've ever, ever had in football uh, in terms of, of the club. Like I say, great club, great fans, but um, wrong time for me, really, because of the owner there. You've definitely had some crazy and unbelievable moments in your career. Um, after Leighton Orient, you were then manager at Eastleigh. Yeah, when there's assistant to Rich, obviously I had it back in the day, championship days, so he asked me to come in and do a bit of work with them, and then Rich decided uh, to move upstairs. But then ultimately he got a job at Sunderland with Stuart Donald, who took over Sunderland from Eastleigh, and uh, and then they asked me to, to take over at, uh, at Eastleigh as manager, yeah. So, and I really enjoyed it there. Great professional club, you know, full time there. Um, but then, as I say, I had a. We, we, we was on a good run last year um, at the start and um, and then got a call back from Jim, you know, would, would I come back? Because they're in a bit of a, uh, some problems. Yeah. I, you know, seven points from 15 games. And uh, would, would I come and change the club around, become professional and go full-time? And it was a real good challenge. I was back close to home. And to be fair, you know, Rex, they said, look, you know, go and talk and have a chat with them and uh, that's what I did and you know and we've carried on from there really and we had we finished we finished on a fantastic run um, stayed up comfortably and uh, you know it's been it was a good year last year in the end obviously from the outside looking in a lot, a lot of people would have criticised you for moving from Eastleigh to Dover because of the difference in league position between the two but as you said for you it made sense yeah. you were closer to home Dover is a project for you where obviously you've been before yeah. Um, yeah. Last season, you achieved the great escape, really there. Um, yeah. But this season's been a little bit more comfortable for you, sitting in twelfth, yeah. only for think, coronavirus yeah. to halt the season. Uh, yeah, we've been on a good run, and then we had a little bit of a slip up, and then, but yeah, we, we've still obviously then then the virus has turned up, and this is pretty much finished our season. Really, it's pretty much going to be that it's going to finish. It's just how they finish it, whether it's null and void or done a points per game or they've got to decide and hopefully quickly how they're going to finish the season for everybody but yeah it was a shame because we're still only we had to do a four points out of playoffs with, with eight games left so and we had a game in hand so we, we wasn't out of it ourselves if we if we finish on a good run like we did last year we could have we could have got in that sort of playoff place as well so it's been a bit frustrating what's gone on but uh you know, everybody else is in the same boat, and they hope we can get through this safely. This the virus that we're in. Yeah, the trouble is, no one really knows what is going to happen with league position and how it's going to happen. No, what? I think that's it's a not knowing. Really, I think I, I think our, I think as you say, non-league's already been cancelled from three to six. I think from one to three, our league. Conference South, Conference North will they're pretty much say, saying it's finished but it's how they finish it they've got to vote on that but I think League 2 League 1 Championship the Premiership I think for, for integrity of football I think they really need to try and finish it if they can um, but it all depends on this curve and how quickly we can we can get over this virus the quicker we can the quicker football will come back I think um, that is the end of my questions but I do have some fan questions written down from Twitter if you have the time for them so we've got some fan questions from Twitter for you no worries um, at Dean McBeano asked do you ever see yourself coming back to Gillingham uh, no I wouldn't have thought so the only way I see myself coming back to Jules one day maybe on a on a scouting role type of thing you know yeah uh, look, 
going out doing some scouting, something like that. That'd be the only capacity I believe now uh, that's perhaps left for me. If not a kit man, perhaps. Kit man. <laughs> when Malcolm eventually gives it up. Uh, Liam Stanley has asked who's the most talented player you've played with and then the most talented player you've coached that's uh, a good question that um, most talented player um, I would say probably um, I would probably say at the time at Watford it would have been we had Port uh, Paul Furlong um, came to us at that time uh, from Chelsea. He was exceptional. Him and and Kevin Phillips, and Kevin come out non-league, the goal scoring, the goals goals that they scored, I would say probably them two, really, in terms of played with. Um, Coached, um, I would say, mm, again, that's... That's a, that's a tricky one. There's some good players over 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 the time. Um, I would say Paul Shaw, believe it or not. Paul Shaw. Paul Shaw. Yeah, at Jules. Yeah, watching him in training every day um, and playing with him. Uh, just his cleverness as a player. Um, yeah, uh, that, that I've I've coached. Uh, I would say he he, he was easier to coach because he. He did things so easy, you know, without even thinking about it, Paul. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would say Paul, to be honest. Um, at Nader94 and also Lee Clifton asked, how did you find the transition from being a player amongst mates to then becoming the manager? We touched on this earlier, but obviously if you want to add something. Yeah, I, like, like I said earlier on, I think, um, I think just because of the group of players I'd played with, um, I, I thought it was going to be a lot harder than what it was, but because they were such a bunch, good bunch of lads, uh, and we all respected each other, they made the transition so much easier for me. Um, and like I say, we touched on it earlier with that that first initial managers meeting with the players, where the likes of Pennett, Barry Ashby, Paul Smith, all sort of grinning at the back of the room. I uh, mean, they just summed them, summed them up, and it, it made it a lot easier for me. So. Yeah, I found it quite easy in the end, but a lot easier than I thought. But again, that comes down to the players. Sticking with your managerial role, Chris Rainbow has asked, which spell did you enjoy most as manager? Championship, 100%. As in the championship, every, you know, perhaps because there wasn't so much pressure on us then, but we could go out there and, and, and perform. And, uh, you know, to finish 11th in the table, you know, as I say, make an issue in it. Uh, for the club was uh, credit to all the players staff that year to, to be able to achieve that because as I say each year was getting harder and harder so yeah it has to be that year um, you know yes I've had some promotions with, with, with Dover um, but you know that that, uh, that year the, the years in the championships was, was, was definitely the best for me as a manager uh, Ben Pye has asked what's your favourite match you've ever played in Has to be Wigan, surely. Yeah, yeah, it's because we won. Yeah, the, the, the Man City was because we lost the game at the end. It was only the down, the, the, the real downside of that. But yeah, know, obviously it was massive. But yeah, Wigan's the biggest because again, being the home of football and winning this time, um, yeah, 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 it has to be that uh, FA Cup ties that we played in. I've played in 
we're up there, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be the Wigan game, yeah, definitely. Ben Pike's question has set something off in my mind about maybe one of your favourite matches you've managed. Would it have been Gillingham 5, Hereford 4, or did you find that a nightmare to manage? <laughs> I remember that game, it was crazy, yeah. No, it was a nightmare to manage, I've got to say. I nearly had a heart attack in that game, it was just so ebbed and flowed, didn't it? And uh, it was a phenomenal game. Um, um, but, you know, it was one of those, it was... You just didn't know what was going to happen next. We've all been involved games, in games like that, but to to actually um, to to win the game the way we did was was, was unbelievable. And uh, um, you know, Paolo, I remember Paolo. I, was, I still speak to Paolo Gazzaniga now. I'm obviously he's got his moves to uh, to Tottenham now, and we we brought him into the club. But he, he he was he was tremendous that night in that game. I remember him, uh, you know, doing so well. Uh, and us winning the game so yeah that was was a crazy game that night Hereford must have been sick of the sight of us that year because obviously 5-4 at Priestfield and then the reverse fixture was a 6-1 thumping at their at their place yeah they were they didn't like playing us did they you know so um, it was it was a it certainly we were their bogey team and uh, you know so uh, yeah no, it, was, uh, it, it was it was good to be involved in them games another game I enjoyed playing being manager in was, uh, was the Arsenal game in the FA Cup where we got it back to 2-2 that was a good game to be yeah. involved in and I was subbed that day I remember bringing myself on and um, well we got it back to 2-2 and then I, I turned to my right and then saw Omri and Perez getting their tops off to come on and uh, um, so it just shows what the boys had done they, they forced the manager Arsene Wenger to, to bring on some of the big guns and uh, in the end we lost 5-2 but you know, that was, that was a good game to be involved in. Yeah, it shows how much of a challenge we were that they had to bring on world-class yeah, players such as them. Exactly, exactly. Um, Back to the questions. Mr John Seeger asked, with hindsight, do you think you should have stepped down after the Stoke game at the end of the 0 3 4 season? 0 3 4 Didn't I step down after that? Or was that another... What game was... Jonathan? I thought that was the one you stepped down from, but that's the question John has asked so I'm assuming it must be a different one um, yeah I thought it was because I remember, I remember the crew game didn't I and then yeah and then, I said, and then the Stoke um, yeah and then I went and spoke to the chairman so um, was it so something I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure about that question to be honest was it something in particular about that Stoke, Stoke match that confirmed it for you that you had to you had to go and step down Uh, John asked, with hindsight, do you think you should have stepped down after the Stoke game at the end of the 03-04 season? Oh, yeah, I get where he's coming from, yeah, where we stayed up on the last game of the season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. We, we, we needed to get a point there. Um, I, I get his point, no, I don't think, I, in, in hindsight, because it was it was getting tougher, it was getting tougher, and, uh, you know, um, it, it could have been one of those, yes, if... if if I thought it was getting tougher, you know, is it going to get any easier the year after? And I get his point because obviously it could have been a new manager comes in then at the start of the new season um, and uh, and gets a clean start. Whereas I started the season after and then it, it didn't work out. And then that's that's when I stepped down after crew. But no, I don't I don't think so because I thought that we um, we done so well to stay up. Um, I think you know it was. 
can we get better? Can, can we get better? Even though deep down I thought it was going to be difficult. Um, but so no, not in hindsight, really. I was, you know, I was a cheat. I was pleased we achieved what we achieved that year. Uh, ML Shelton has asked: Was there a particular player you wanted to sign and was really confident they was going to come, and then they didn't? Um, yeah, Jamie Curran. Jamie Curran. Yeah, back in the time, yeah, we thought we had him. We had him in the office, and uh, unfortunately, uh, it fell through. We didn't get him. Um, yeah, so Jamie was one. I think there was another player. I'm trying to think. Uh, Dave Kitson as well. Dave, Dave Kitson. Kitson. Yeah, we had Dave Kitson in there, in the office, um, and I think he ended up signing for Reading in the end. Yeah, that was the year he signed for Reading, he didn't sign for us, but we had him in the office and very close, it come down to money in the end, so them, them two really, two strikers. And the final fan question I have for you is all, uh, another one from Dean McVino, and he asks, who is the better player, you or Jake? Did you struggle, um, like trying to manage Jake? Like, was it an issue for you? Not really. I didn't really manage it. I was coaching when I had a of course, time. Yeah. Was more of his manager. So no, not really. Um, Jake's a real strong character, and uh, you know he's he's very determined, very very much like himself. So um, he didn't. He was mentally strong as well. He had nothing. Nothing really phased him. He knew it was always going to be difficult trying to live off the back of me being there. And he did come under, you know, he got a little bit of criticism and, you know, there's a lot of cynics in this world that uh, say that he's there because I was there. But that wasn't the case. And, you know, he'd he, he done well for himself in terms of having to deal with that situation. So, in a way, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of what he's doing. He's playing. He was up at Grimsby now and, uh, you know, he's making a name for himself up there. He's doing well. So, uh, you know, but no, he, in terms of, obviously, I didn't manage him, but I coached him, but he... He was his own person, really, and uh, he knew that, uh, you know, listen, I, I had a, a massive, massive effect on, on Gillingham Football Club, but, but he did as well, because he was part of the family, so, uh, but I, I, I was proud of him how he, how he dealt with certain situations. Andy, absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Everyone, no worries, thank man. you very much for listening. Uh, no problem. And up the jewels. Yeah, up the jewels. Hopefully you can finish the season with this virus, and, uh, and then go again next season. Brilliant. Thank you very much.